And so I tell people what I got out of all this work wasn't trolley cars and bike lanes. These are great. And they're byproducts of a healthy neighborhood, right? And, and little cafes and things like that. What I got was a neighborhood, right? And that's why we're all doing all of this work. That's why everybody's here. This, that trolley car initiative was this thing that just galvanized the community and said, yeah, we can do this. Why not? A special thank you to Belmont Trolley Inc. for sponsoring this episode. On Wednesday, October 12, 2022, the Belmont Trolley Board hosted an event at Belmont City Works to share the vision of Belmont Trolley and give a status update on the project. The event was well attended by leaders in the community to include Belmont City Council members, local business owners, and citizens alike. We also heard from sponsor partners from Piedmont Lithium, UNC Charlotte, and keynote speaker Jason Roberts from the Better Block Foundation. Jason helped to revive the Dallas-Texas trolley line and other projects like it to reinvigorate, re-inspire, and re-energize communities just like ours all over the world. Enjoy this special episode of the Building Belmont podcast as you learn how you too can get involved in the Belmont Trolley Project and starting right where you are to build your community just like Jason did. Enjoy. Constructed as part of this project will house not only the trolley cars, but a transportation museum as well. This is his community, and, and that is something we just love to celebrate, and this is a perfect example of it here tonight. Okay, with our project, Belmont Trolley is reviving a piece of Belmont's history with a new transportation method. This UNC Charlotte Innovation is the first in the nation for intercity passenger train. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, my work and about kind of what inspired me early on to do this work and, and kind of what what brought Better Block about and, and, and kind of thinking about cities in general. So I often start by showing this image and saying, like, look, this is in, this is in, in Montmartre, France. I remember thinking, man, I wish this was in my neighborhood. <laughs> if it was there, I'd go here every single day. I'd want to have, like, live upstairs and go to the little streets. I'd have a cup of coffee, and I'd... I'd ask my friends and neighbors, like, what do you think about places like this? And like, yeah, we wish we, we could have this in our neighborhood. We'd have our kids like, like work here and we put it on postcards. And I said, well, if we all collectively wish we had more places that look like this, then why do we keep building places that look like this? <laughs> and, and that was, that was the early thought behind the work I was doing, thinking about places and thinking about things that we build and realizing that we can either make, th we make things all the time. We can make things that inspire us and that can have long trajectories and that, you know, can make us have legacies or we can build these things that are temporary and that could go away tomorrow and we wouldn't care about. I wasn't an urban planner. I wasn't an architect. I was your IT guy. So <laughs> I was the guy that would have been setting up this projector. I would have been setting up the microphone. I was taking viruses off all of your computers. So the first project I took on was an old theater that had been empty for about 10 years. And this is kind of ground zero for why we're considered the bad part of town. This is the Texas theater. This is where Lee Harvey Oswald ducked into after the assassination of JFK. So, in fact, the only reason I had a sign was because Oliver Stone built us that sign as a movie prop. Time is going to cost millions of dollars. Nobody wants to give us any money. It's the bad side of town. And I said, I want to help. And so I said, like, why don't I just bring my artist friends? I also played in bands, so I knew some musicians and artists. I said, I have an idea. Why don't I bring 100 artists out together from my neighborhood? I'll give them all canvases, and we'll have them paint one night in the theater. And the next day, we'll, we'll open up the theater and turn it into an instant art gallery. So this is me and my friends building easels. And moments before about to open the doors, we started thinking, this is probably going to be an abject failure. <laughs> First of all, it, we're in the bad side of town. It's the middle of winter, and a theater has been closed for 10 years. But when we opened the doors, we had 750 people show up. And people said, we've been waiting for someone to help turn this space back on again. And I was like, I was waiting for it as well. And I realized 
Do we all recognize the problems that exist around us in our neighborhood? We all just don't know where to begin, don't know where to start. And so the interesting thing is I learned a lot from this. And first of all, I said, like, I want to keep getting involved. And I showed up to the board meetings and said, hey, can I help? And within three months, I became the president of the Texas Theater. So I tell people, be careful when you say you want to help because <laughs> they will throw the keys at you. And now if you go back to that theater, it's an anchor for our neighborhood. It's revitalized. We have a giant film festival. It's helped turn a lot of things around for us. Okay, so I was working on that, and I was thinking, man, if I can help bring back a theater, what else can we work on? So I started going to the library, looking at old maps of my neighborhood. This is a map from the 1920s. I'm staring at this. This is my neighborhood Oak Cliff. Top right is downtown Dallas. This is my neighborhood here. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking about my, 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 my uh, theater project, which is on one of these bold black lines. And so the interesting thing about my theater is I only had 35 parking spaces, but I had 650 seats. <laughs> so like, how did that work? And it worked because I had an old trolley car system. Those bold black lines were my trolley car system. So I started studying trolleys and thinking like, man, it'd be really cool if we can bring back that trolley car system, right? And I said, I got an idea. Why don't we bring back that trolley car system? And they're like, that's crazy. It's been half a century. It's going to cost millions of dollars. I knew very little about trolley cars, but I was an IT guy. So I knew how to make websites. So I went home that night and made a fake website called the Oak Cliff Transit Authority. It looked really official. And I had board and news. I had histories. And then I had like pictures of European trams in the front. I made it look really official. I started copying all the architects' websites. And then the next week, the Dallas Morning News, our big newspaper came out and said, Dreaming of the day, the streetcars return. That's what Jason Roberts and other members of the recently formed Oak Cliff Transit Authority are hoping. <laughs> but, but there were no other members. But I found out if you're passionate about something, you have everything it takes to become a leader. People are just waiting for someone to stand up and say, hey, there's a better way to do things. There's things that are broken. We need better opportunities. So I assembled this little or this army and started thinking about what else can we take on? So I'm working on theaters. I'm working on my trolley car. I'm working on bicycles. I started looking at the old blocks of buildings and trying to figure out why aren't these working? And these were often like these old trolley car stops I started looking at. These were built in the 1920s, like your old buildings here in Belmont. And I realized we did a lot to hurt these buildings over time to make them not work anymore. So first of all, we took away the trolley. There was no parking. Okay, so what did that do? That means that the zoning had to change. We can't do a retail zoning. Let's make it light industrial. I didn't know what that meant, but what I found out it meant is like I can have an H&R block. I can't really have, though, a, a coffee shop, right? So I looked at that block and said, well, obviously it's illegal for us to do anything to bring this back to life. So what would happen if we took a weekend and we broke every law we possibly could? <laughs> so that's what we did. We painted our own bike lanes. We added our own cafe seating within the streets ourselves. We had our own historical lights out. We took the uh, put murals in the buildings. We took the empty buildings and put the businesses we always wanted, bookstores, coffee shops, flower shops. And then we printed off all those laws and rules we were breaking. We put them in the windows. And then we invited our city staff and our mayor out. They came out and they're like, I don't know if we're supposed to be here. <laughs> I looked at I was like, I think we're all going to go to jail. But everyone was using the block now. Thousands of people came out. They said, this is wonderful. We need more places not like this, not less. But the council came back and said, let's vote and change things. And so we said, first of all, let's get that all the zoning and get it right back to retail like it used to be. And that process usually takes a year or more. We got it done in three months. And all those buildings that had been empty for years were leased by locals in the neighborhood within months after that. People also ask me, like, what happened with all of these things? You, you broke a lot of these rules. Are you challenging the system and the status quo? 
part of the thought process on this was if I didn't challenge the rules, people came up with every worst case scenario on why this would never work. People aren't going to have this. It's going to be Carmageddon. It's going to be the end of the world. Business is going to die. I was like, just give me a weekend to show you the possibilities. I think this could work. And it was so successful that uh, this is my friend Scott who helped us uh, identify all the laws and rules of breaking. He was an attorney. Um, Scott later became our, our, our city council member. So I, I found there's, there's a one-to-one -one correlation become, between becoming a public servant and breaking laws. So, uh, so the other interesting thing here um, uh, is, is I was starting to find this process to engage the community, talk about problems, and come up with a rapid solution to test out fixing problems and seeing if we can make those things permanent afterwards. So, and then I go to the city and be like, hey, let's fix this one intersection. It's too wide. Cars are flying through here. We want to start, start little like cafe businesses and sit outside and they'll say, that's great. It's going to take years and millions of dollars. I said, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it on Saturday. And we'll fix it ourselves. <laughs> We were able to show people the potential, and we got real-time data. We, it wasn't kind of speculative data. It wasn't kind of uh, modeling. It was really like, what is really happening? How is it affecting people's emotions? Because people make their decisions based on their emotions, not on the data. I can tell them the data all day long, but they're going to tell me why the data is wrong, or they're going to question the sources. But they can't question the emotions they feel in a space. And if I can make a place amazing and beautiful and inspiring, you walk away from that and you say, I got to have more of that. We need more of those things. And then they start fighting for it. One of the things I was learning, um, I was looking at these old cities and the old world places, and I was like inspired by them. Like, why did we build this way? And why do we build differently now? And then I was in England talking to this architect, talking about I love how these old buildings were built to the sidewalk, these zero lot line buildings, and they're walkable. The scale felt good. And she said, well, the interesting thing about that is these buildings they're built in a way that makes humans feel safe. And, and, you know, I talk about like kind of trolley car and that's kind of these, the developments. The neat thing about that stuff is it forces you to rethink the type of development patterns you make and make the ones that actually humans love to be around and make them feel safe and inviting and that are charming naturally. So that better block work that I started, you know, people started asking me, hey, can you do better blocks in my neighborhood? And I was like, let me, let me see if I can form a nonprofit and I can help do this because I'm still doing IT work. I got a big grant from a group called the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation and, and started doing more better blocks all around the country. One of the first projects we did with the Knight Foundation was in, in, in Akron, Ohio, in, in the North Hill neighborhood. And so to give you guys some background on Akron, um, so you all know about Detroit, the cars and the car industry left and how that kind of imploded the city. Well, Akron had the same thing, but they built all the tires. BF Goodrich, Goodyear, they were all, uh, they were all headquartered out of Akron, Ohio. And when that industry left, they suffered from depopulation. They had overbuilt their infrastructure with the presumption that, that it was going to grow, population was going to grow in perpetuity at, at a high rate, which it didn't. They started seeing empty buildings, the gaps in between the teeth, which is they call the empty buildings in between these spaces. And they didn't know what to do at this point. So they brought us out and we said, well, let's walk around with neighbors in rooms like this, bringing people together and say, let's go outside. Let's start cataloging the buildings. Let's figure out who owns them. Let's talk about who wants to start a business and figure out if we can kind of get those things seated, even temporarily. And so we would kind of make maps of these areas. Then we'd go out with a, kid, with a public works department. We'd take their official street equipment and fill it up with kids' finger paint. Then we take the kids in the neighborhood, we give them white duct tape, we would line those streets, and then within, uh, within a couple hours, we'd have bike infrastructure like you see in Chicago and New York, but there isn't, now it's in Akron, Ohio, right? And they had never anticipated this level of infrastructure improvements in those areas. We take the old buildings that have been empty for, you know, easily a decade with the wide streets overgrown. They're like, we just have a bunch of old tires and, you know, paint. What can we do? So we use those tires and paint. We make beautiful plazas for them. 
we take uh, these empty lots, the gaps in between the buildings, take some soil, some hay bales, and some volunteers, and we copy Italian piazzas and show them how you can make beautiful neighborhood spaces that are all catalyzed by the street development that we're working on. Because in the end of the day, the way... Everything starts with the road. Everything starts with the street. Everything that gets built beside that is basically a response to the development pattern that's happening on the street itself. And so we were playing off of those things. It, got, it started working so well that the city of Dallas kind of brought us back and said, you know, we started working with the Department of Justice and the FBI and looking at the most high crime ridden areas in our city. This was one where there were six indiscriminate murders that had happened over a span of like three months. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. And the police said, we can't over-police this anymore. We had to come up with a new sol solution. It's not working, what we're doing. So this is an interesting area. There was a school at the top left that had uh, refugees. About 130 languages were spoken at. And refugees were often preyed on because they wouldn't go to the police. And they didn't speak the language. And they were, they were afraid. And, so, and then we had a lot of drug dealing and human trafficking that were happening in the area. So we took this area and we just made it feel uh, inviting. We brought out paint, trees, landscaping, shipping containers that we turned into old bookstores, and we re-edged the street and we showed how you can make this an inviting and a safe place. And so now the kids felt like there was a place that they can come to after school and hang out and feel safe. And the other thing was we found out if you build places that feel like they're cared for or taken care of, People that are up to no good are nervous about being in these spaces because they feel like they're going to be watched. And so at that point, it just has this natural effect on people's psyche on the area and starts changing the, 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 their, their, their ideas on what these places could be. This is at night showing what we had done with that space. Again, a place that you would have never gone to. And we saw the crime at that point drop. Throughout this project, we didn't have a single murder within this space. So we went from six within the three months prior to zero. So we still had some light crime happening, but for the most part, it had dropped exponentially at that point. So we started tackling food deserts. The next project we did in South Dallas, same thing, human trafficking issues in this apartment complex. They said we don't have enough food people coming out uh, to, to, to offer us different opportunities in our neighborhood. So we built this out in this, again, uh, using shipping containers, building a pavilion, show, and then brought a bunch of neighbors and people in the neighborhood showing them how they can start their own businesses, their own food businesses. So vegan bakers and all kinds of things I never would have thought were this very low income neighborhood that had these, 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 the community that was there basically got to rebuild it themselves. We gave them the tools and the resources to fix their own community and show the possibilities. Back in 2010, started getting a lot of attention. People saying, hey, we want a better block in my neighborhood. And I was like, look, I'm an IT guy. I don't have a lot of time, but I'll open source it. I made a website to open source it. And within a year, it spread around the country. In fact, the second one that ever happened was with Billy Joel in Ocean Bay, New York. Um, and then it started going the next year around the world, all the way from Melbourne, Australia to Tehran, Iran. I tell people when people in Tehran, Iran start calling me, ask about breaking laws and rules, like, I don't know about breaking rules. <laughs> Tehran, Iran, <laughs> I think your stakes may be a little higher than ours. <laughs> All right, y'all probably wonder what happened to that trolley car. Uh, so this is me. Let's go back to that story. We're studying Portland streetcar, and they're saying, look, it took us 35 years. It's going to be really long. It's going to be a slog, but it's worth it. And so we're like, great, we're going to keep, we're going back home to Dallas and we're start applying for some grants. We talked to the city of Dallas. The city of Dallas laughed at us and said, okay, Oak Cliff Transit Authority, apply for all the grants you want. Uh, Pat us on the head. We had 0.3% chance of getting any money whatsoever. But what happened was we won millions of dollars. And instead of taking 25 years to bring back our streetcar system, we did it in five years. And all I did was build a website. So I tell people all I did was build a website. You know, I was your IT guy. <laughs> 
you know, and I just, but it, it fired up the imagination of the community and that the possibilities. We were, they were thinking Chipotle and somebody comes out of, out of left field saying, what about bringing back the streetcar system? And just, and then enough people started dogging them early on, us early on, or to me, like, that's a pipe dream. It'll never happen. But then our neighborhood started going like, well, why can't it happen? Why don't we deserve this? Why can't we bring this back? And it was, it emboldened the neighborhood and it gave us something to fight for. And it was amazing. All of the spurs that kind of have come out of that sense. If you come back, if you come to Dallas, you go along our streetcar line, you'll see all the cool walkable development happens along the streetcar line itself. And so a lot of things started happening for me afterwards. I started, you know, got together with my friends doing better blocks and we started, we we did a restaurant. In fact, you've come to Dallas. You can go to uh, Oddfellows, my restaurant. You'll help put my uh, daughter through college. It'll be great. And then I started getting, you know, a lot of attention for the work. I started, you know, getting to lecture at Harvard. We were in the Venice Biennale, which is like basically the Oscars for architects, uh, and the New York Times. And then I decided to run for uh, U.S. Congress because I had a free April. I was like thinking, like, you know, like, what can stop us, right? We found all these cool things to make things happen in our neighborhood and gather our community and build these better blocks. But the one thing that completely stopped me was in 2012, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer and then everything stopped. And at that point I was like, well, what was all this for? I'm not going to get to, you know, uh, watch my kids grow up. I'm not going to get to ride my trolley and take part of these little, you know, the bike lanes we made and little shops. And when uh, I was really sick, neighbors started calling me that were helping with my better blocks and said, look, we want to take your daughter to go shopping at the mall and we want to take your son to go fishing. And was at my absolute worst. They said, why don't we start building better blocks? Why don't we help do build a better Jason and fix you? And so I tell people what I got out of all this work wasn't trolley cars and bike lanes. These are great. And they're byproducts of a healthy neighborhood, right? And, and little cafes and things like that. What I got was a neighborhood. Right? And that's why we're all doing all of this work. That's why everybody's here. This, that trolley car initiative was this thing that just galvanized the community and said, yeah, we can do this. Why not? And then started talking at these conversations about like, what else can we get if we get the trolley car? We can have that theater come back to life. We can have those old buildings come back online and started having these conversations about the possibilities. And then people started fighting for things in our community and realizing that, you know, we had this DIY spirit to make things happen. And I tell people, beware of a dedicated group of amateurs because we weren't supposed to be able to figure it out, but we did, right? <laughs>
Belmont Trolley has an agreement with the NCDOT for about a half a mile that goes up to Belmont Abbey. And that's it at this point. But you can see the potential, right? You can see the potential of what we could do with the right will and the right community. We have these wonderful efforts underway. You know, one of the ones that I'm really excited about is Gaston County's Go Outside. The Carolina Thread Trail, right? The Carolina Thread Trail, much of this rail runs adjacent. Another one I'm, you know, super excited about for potential opportunities in the future is um, what's going on at um, Gaston Tech Works with, uh, right? They got these um, great programs they're set up for um, STEM, for some of um, internship programs for some of our high school students. And we think there's a great opportunity to tie in some of what UNC Charlotte is doing, you know, with our local community from a green tech standpoint. And those are things that are already kind of in flight and what we're bringing together. We're going upstairs. We got um, three trolley cars. I think you guys are aware. We got three cars we're going to show you. Professor Shannon and his team, you know, they've, um, they've done a tremendous amount of work with this pro uh, trolley car. You know, the power car, rather, with some of this lithium-ion technology that the deans spoke to earlier. So we're going to showcase some of that technology. Um, before we do that, we want to thank some of our um, key partnerships again. We want to thank um, the city of Belmont uh, for their partnership. We'd like to thank uh, Piedmont Lithium uh, for their partnership as well. We'd also like to thank um, Don and Mary Doctor for their material contribution to the effort and the other uh, folks that have put the skin in the game up to this point. We do have an ask, so um, we need your help. Um, you guys have heard the old adage that um, many hands make light work, right? So everybody can give in a different kind of way here, right? Some of you can give time, right? And we need your time. Some of you can give, provide um, expertise, right? Some of you have a technology background or public administration or grant writing, so you can help in that kind of way. Some of you um, can provide um, money, right? And we're gonna need money. You know, we're gonna need help uh, from a philanthropy standpoint and a giving standpoint. And um, some of you are part of these um, great organizations in our community that have vast resources at your disposal. We'd ask for your help in that way. Do you guys want to go check it out? Yeah. All right, let's go check it out. And you too have the opportunity to be involved in the Belmont Trolley Project by giving your time, resources, or expertise. Visit the link in the comments or the show notes, and you can share your information and learn more about how you specifically can get involved in this project. But we hope through this episode today that you're inspired not only to be a part of the Belmont Trolley Project or what it will bring to our community, but how we're genuinely building community through this project and many projects to come. It's so much more than the building or the project or the business. It truly is about building connection in our community for times of celebration and in times of need. So we're so thankful that we get the opportunity to build this community with you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. And thank you in advance for getting involved in the Belmont Trolley Project or whatever project it may be that fits you. And a special thank you again to the Belmont Trolley team for sponsoring this episode. We'll see you on the next one.